What's up, everyone? I want to tell you about a car that you are going to love. Check it out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, I love that, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. So let's say you're ready to take the family on a camping trip or something like that. The Santa Fe is perfect for you. You've got all-wheel drive. You can load everyone up in the third row. It's time to start being adventurous, and you need the right car, and that's the Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This is Fantasy Football Today from CBS Sports. On his way to the end zone. I'll tell you what, that was a spectacular play. It's time to dominate your fantasy league. What a play! Off to the races! some combination of Adam, Dave, Jamie, Heath, and Ben. Welcome to our Thursday show. We are getting crazy today. Get crazy with the cheese whiz for all of you 90s rock fans. We're going to talk about 10 crazy stats from 2021. Joe Burrow's yards per attempt and what you can expect next year. Jalen Waddle's weird season that looked nothing like what we saw from Jalen Waddle in college. Something that happened to Tyree Kill in five straight games that hadn't happened in more than two straight games in any of the three previous seasons. Uh, the best big play running back in football and more. I'm Adam Azer. I'm here with Chris Towers and Heath Cummings. Guys, first question, first crazy question is a non-football question. What is the best song that has the word crazy in the title. Here are some Ooh. options for you. You've got Aerosmith's Crazy. You've got Gnarls. Not that one. Yeah, it's that one for me. Gnarls Barkley Crazy. Uh, Beyonce Crazy in Love. Britney Spears, You Drive Me, or parentheses, You Drive Me, and parentheses, Crazy. Seal Crazy. Casey and JoJo Crazy. Ozzy Osbourne, Crazy Train, might be that one for me. Madonna, Crazy for You, and apparently Willie Nelson. I do this one just for Heath. Apparently Willie Nelson has a song called Crazy. Willie Nelson has a great song named Crazy, and it's definitely in my top five. But I don't think you <laughs> named the song that I just immediately thought of when you said best song with the word crazy in it. Okay, what did I miss? Um, I would say Crazy Love, Van Morrison. I don't know that song. Yes, you do. I think, one, I, I think you missed a couple. Well, this is, don't, don't blame me. This is Google, okay? Crazy uh, Love didn't did show Did you up. get uh, Crazy on You by Heart? I didn't know that. I saw that in Google, but I don't one. know. I know Heart pretty well, but I don't know that I need song. you to acknowledge that you do know Crazy Love by Van Morrison. I'm gonna listen. There's no way you've not heard that song. I'm going li- um, <laughs> to listen to it now. Hold on. Actually, I love She Drives Me Crazy by the Fun Young Cannibals. She drives me crazy. Yeah, that's a good one. (laughs) That's not not the best, but it's pretty good. Um, Crazy Bleep by Buck Cherry. That's not a good song, but it exists. That's not a good song? It's a a nutty song. They've got some pretty controversial. Um, I don't know this song, Heath. Give me love, 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 crazy love. Come on. I don't know. I'm thinking crazy. Oh, you didn't mention crazy little thing called love also. Ooh, another Great good song. one. Yeah. 
All I'm right. thinking Crazy Train is probably the best one. Um, I'm going to agree with you there. Crazy Train. Heath, can we make it a sweep? Probably Crazy in Love. Heath, let's go. Crazy Train over this Van Morrison song? Mm, I don't think so. All right. I think I'd probably go this Van Morrison song and then <laughs> Crazy by Willie Nelson. Okay. All right. Uh, fun, fun topic. Anyway, let's do some news and notes. Knock these out real quick, and then we will get to some crazy stats and your emails, fantasyfootball at cbsi.com. We do not have a show on Monday. That is President's Day. And then we have Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday for you. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday shows. Tuesday is going to be some rankings disputes. Wednesday is going to be rookie quarterback evaluations and dynasty risers. And Thursday is going to be rookie running back evaluations. I love I love looking back at the rookie classes. Uh, news and notes. Deshaun Watson is interested in going to Tampa Bay and Minnesota, according to ESPN. Where would you guys rather see him go if you had to choose between those two destinations, Tampa Bay or Minnesota? Uh, probably Tampa, I guess, just because the difference between Kirk Cousins and Deshaun Watson, while it would be pretty big, is not nearly the difference between Deshaun Watson and whoever Tampa Bay would currently be starting. So, I guess Yeah, that. I mean, if I'm just looking at it specifically for Watson... I think I would choose Minnesota, um, especially dynasty wise, just because the pairing of Watson and Jefferson over the next however long. But either one would be fine. Yeah, like I don't currently have Mike Evans or Chris Godwin in my top twenty at wide receiver, based on what their offense looks like right now. So those guys could definitely use a quarterback of any renown. Okay, Sean McVay is not retiring. Good. And which is good because he's younger than Shraggy B. So I'm not <laughs> sure why he would be retiring. He's younger than every he's not younger than Chris and Shraggy B, but he's younger than me and Heath Dave and Jamie as well. It would really kind of piss me off if he retired. I he didn't put in a What do you mean? It's like, not a career. So he's 36, I think. Okay, but if assuming I don't know how much money he's made, but I, he I hasn't made enough money to retire. It, he's made oh, over yeah. ten million dollars, right? He's definitely made enough money to retire after taxes. You know, <laughs> lives in L.A. <sighs> it's very expensive. You're right. You know what? I think he has not made enough money to retire comfortably in L.A. If he wants to live the lifestyle that I assume he wants to live, yeah, you can't retire, retire in L.A. Like if he's he's gonna probably go to Arizona. Somewhere yeah. out in the desert. Maybe. Uh, head coach Mike McDaniel of Miami said he would start Jalen Waddle. He's got a lot of Jalen Waddle love. He said he'd start Jalen Waddle in fantasy. I would too. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I was. We did last All year right, too. Right. I got there. So <laughs> you're going to need something better than that. Tell me you draft him in the first round. We started him over, over A.J. Brown in that. Was it the Niners game when A.J. Brown on Thursday night? Went berserk and had he. It was his his first game back, I think. And uh, we started Heath, you and I. We started Jalen Waddle over AJ Brown. I don't know if Mike McDaniel would have done that. We we won that league. We did win the league. We won that yeah, week in the league. He is a top ten wide receiver for me, so it's not really. I can't. I can't really move him up, Mike. D- Dave said that as well. I did not uh, come up come out that high on him. But. Oh, more on him later. Uh, it was 11 catches, 145 yards, and a touchdown for A.J. Brown on our bench. Uh, New Orleans is keeping offensive coordinator Mike, uh, Pete Carmichael. So he called plays in three seasons, 2011, 2012, and 2016, and the Saints were second 
third and second in scoring in those three seasons. So they are keeping their offensive coordinator. Obviously, Sean Payton had a huge influence, but this is good for continuity's sake. And finally, Buffalo GM Brandon Bean said his priority is in the offseason is going to be protecting Josh Allen. They were 14th in pass blocking, according to PFF. They had a lot of injuries on that offensive line, moved guys around a lot. They weren't that bad, but obviously they want to be better. If your priority was truly protecting Josh Allen, you would not call so many running plays for him, right? Do they call running plays for him a lot, or does he just run? They had a lot more in the second half of the season, I believe. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's his, it's his job to slide, Heath. All right, right into the crazy stats. Here we go. This one is from Heath Cummings. You want to read it, or you want me to read it? Wow, I gave two crazy stats, and my one of them was the headliner? Like, uh, Yeah. That's that's fantastic. Um, I'll read it. Okay. Joe Burrow was at 8.9 yards per attempt last year, 8.87 if you want to be exact. Um, fourth best since 2000 with a minimum of 500 attempts. There were six others who were at 8.7 or better and played the next season because Deshaun Watson didn't play last year. They were Matt Ryan, Aaron Rodgers, Kurt Warner, Patrick Mahomes, Philip Rivers, Carson Palmer. The following year, they averaged 7.55 yards per attempt, or on average, they lost 1.4 yards per attempt, which for him would put him at 7.5. If Joe Burrow averages 7.5 yards per attempt next year, he'll need 94 more pass attempts to match this season's yardage total. Okay, 94 divided by 17. That's 5.5 per game. And That's a lot. It is a lot, and what did you say? Seven point. What was the average? Seven point five. Five five. Okay. So you Which guys I think talk. was still above average this year. I think seven point two probably was pretty close to league median. Okay, let's just see who was in that seven point five range. Herbert, Prescott, Cousins, Lamar Jackson, seven point five. So you could totally believe that Joe Burrow was at seven point five. Yeah, like he could be in that range, right? Um, I think. Where was Josh Allen last year? Uh, well below, I think. Let's see. That's what I thought. Josh Allen had a very low passer rating. Josh Allen averaged 6.8 yards per attempt. That was 23rd. This is, could be a crazy stat in and of itself. Let me see his passer rating here. He was like 16th or something. Right. Josh Allen was 16th, 92.2. Very strange. I did not realize Josh Allen's yards per attempt regressed that much. Very. He. It was weird. He threw 36 touchdowns. And Which had, I think Josh Allen is the perfect example because we just came off of an offseason where a lot of people argued, no, he's clearly ascending. Look at his last three years. Why would you think he would go the other direction? And it's because anytime you have a season that great, you go the other direction the next year, almost always. I will give the one example, and he's not in this because his pass attempts were kind of weird year over year. Kurt Warner from 99 through 2001 actually had a three-year stretch at 8.7 yards per attempt or better. I don't believe anyone else has ever done that. Now, he had like 250 attempts one year and 499 another year. It was And it was the greatest show on turf. But Kurt, like, if you think Joe Burrow is going to have a Kurt Warner run, then he could keep it up. Josh Allen did finish his QB1 this year, though. In fantasy. Yeah. Yeah, but um, it's weird. Where did the Joe Burrow's probably not going to rush for 600 yards? No. Now, can he throw that much? Can he, you know? I'll point this out. Remember, we talked about after the San Francisco game. Zach Taylor said 
they had been very conservative with Joe Burrow because of the knee injury, and they decided we just have to run the offense through him, basically unleash him and stop being so conservative. Well, from that point forward, Burrow's pass attempts went up from 31.8 per game in his first 13 games to 35.6 per game in his last seven games, including the postseason. And they were 6-1 and one in those games. So they did start throwing more, if that's encouraging. It's, it's not discouraging. Um, you know, it's the kind of thing where, like, I would think 35 pass attempts per game seems like a reasonable number for Joe Burrow. And given the weapons that they have, you could expect him to be you know, more efficient than not just the standard, your your typical quarterback, but more efficient than the, the baseline level of what you would expect from him, I guess would be the way that I would say it. Because Jamar Chase is going to break a lot of big plays because T. Higgins is a good downfield receiver as well. So, you know, I think that does help him. It is interesting to note that after the San Francisco game where they needed to unleash him, his next game was 22 pass attempts. Yeah, I know. But I, I but then think after that, the, <laughs> the, the bigger point, I I don't think it's that would be that abnormal at all if he had 605 pass attempts next year. If his pass attempts went up by 94, I think if somebody says that's what's going to happen, I okay. If he throws for the same number of yards this year as he did last year, he's going to be a bust because he, people aren't going to draft him to be QB 11 or QB 10. Yeah. QB eight, but remember he played sixteen games, so you got to factor that in with the pass attempts, right? He threw five hundred twenty times in sixteen games. All right, anyway, let's move on to our next stat, crazy stat number two. <laughs> if you listen to FFT and five, I butchered this so bad, and Heath called me out for it, and I was like, "No, I'm right," and I was totally wrong. Wait, Adam, can I throw one thing out there? Yeah, about the previous one, it's sort of the same thing as Derrick Henry last season where you know he's coming off this 5.4 yards per carry 2000 yard season he had 4.3 yards per carry now he was still arguably the best running back in fantasy when he was healthy but you know he was much less effective on a per carry basis just the kind of thing that happens with outlier seasons it's not necessarily like a well you know derrick henry was worse this season or derrick henry is going to be worse because he was so good it's just like Outlier seasons are outliers, and you typically can't reproduce them. So that that's really the case. It's not really a a Joe Burrow stat. It's a statistical regression. It's the kind of thing where, like, when you get a couple of eighty yard plays, it's really hard to keep doing that. Like the the Jamar Chase touchdowns against the Ravens in that first game. Yeah, I got you. And At least your, one of those probably should have just been like a twelve yard gain. And to your point, every. Every 2,000-yard rusher has lost at least a yard per carry the following season. Okay, let's go to our next stat. Only one player in the last four seasons has averaged more than nine yards after catch per catch. On FFT and 5, I said after contact, because I wrote after contact for some reason. That's what you have here, yeah. And I Ron Burgundy'd it. But it's more than nine yards per catch. More than nine yards after catch per catch. Only one player has done it in the last four seasons. It's Debo Samuel, and he's done it twice now, two seasons in a row. He statistically, Chris, doesn't make a lot of sense. He just does things that nobody else does, and and you wonder how sustainable it is. And he's also really annoying because finishing as a top five wide receiver where so much of his production was 
based on his running skills. It's like it it messes with all the trends that I try to look for in a top five receiver. But anyway, after catch, he's just sensational. Do you think that'll continue with a new quarterback? Presumably. I would think so just because um, it's the, the way the offense is designed. And I would imagine Kyle Shanahan is going to continue to, to dial up those kind of easy throws that allow his playmakers to get the ball in space and, and make plays. And, you know, Debo almost did it three years in a row. He was at 8.3 yards after catch in 2019 as well as a rookie. The thing that's wild about Debo Samuel is getting a lot of yards after catch is highly correlated with your average depth of target. Shorter catches tend to lead to more yards after the catch. Deeper targets tend to lead to much fewer. That's why Mike Evans routinely has very unimpressive yards after catch numbers because he's getting, you know, 15 yard down the field targets. He had 8.3 yards after the catch on a 7.5 a dot in 2019. And then 10 yards after the catch on 8.4 yard a dot in 2021. That's really, really difficult to do. And so I think he is arguably the best receiver in football with the the ball in his hands. And I think that's going to continue He's not going to average 18 yards per catch this season. And so there's going to be significant regression for him. He's probably not going to have 1,400 yards and and, uh, 18 yards per catch again. The question is, one, how much volume is there in this passing game? Two, how much volume is there in this passing game for each receiver? How are they going to distribute the targets that do exist? And then three, and I think the biggest thing for Debo's fantasy value is, is he going to be a running back again? Yeah. The way they used him in the second half of the season. I ended up with him as my wide receiver 15 in my projections and wide receiver 13 in the rankings. And I have George Kittle as tight end seven and Brandon Ayuk as wide receiver 45, I think. So, Did you say 15? Uh, yep. Yeah. Wow. In full PPR? And so, yeah, and it's just, it's really, the, the 49ers have a math problem. If Trey Lance is their quarterback, yeah. I think for fantasy, it's going to be really, really hard. If he's going to run a bunch, they're going to not throw as much as they did last season. And Ayuk, Kittle, and Samuel are all going to be healthy, which is not something that's really happened all that much in their careers. It's going to be really hard for them, for those three guys to be fantasy relevant at the same time. And I don't think all three of them can do it. Yeah, Heath, I just, I kind of felt like Debo Samuel established himself as the number one option. You know, I don't really think Brandon Ayuk is much of a threat to Debo Samuel right now. I, I don't know. My feelings could change on this, but but uh, man, I wanted to doubt him. It's kind of like Cooper Cup. It's I, I, I was, as it was happening, I was like, what is going on? Cooper Cup was actually better in the playoffs in four games than he was in the regular season. And then Debo is just, he's just the man, you know? I and mean, when they needed a big play, they went to him. He, he was awesome again in the postseason, you know? So I, I don't know. He just kept proving me wrong. Yeah, I I had a much easier time believing Cooper Cup than Debo Samuel, and I've got Cooper Cup as my number one wide receiver for next year. I think Debo's around twelve, so I do think like we had seen Cooper Cup be an elite fantasy wide receiver in the past. Um, we had seen him, I th- I would say, perform closer to what he did last year than we had Debo Samuel. Yeah. Um. So. I, I 
I think I, I'm surprised that I'm ahead of Chris, and now this gives me the courage to m- move Debo a little bit lower. Um, <laughs> but I do think like it's it's just a wild. Do you expect him to have 60 rush attempts again next year? Do you expect him to score once every seven rush attempts again next year? So what do you make of this then? What do you make of this? Because you're 100% right. And the rush attempts are crazy. As soon as he had the rush attempts, though, he stopped with the receive. But if you look at his receiving totals before he became more involved in the running game, he was having a, a tremendous year just as a receiver. So Heath, do you think if the if the rushing totals go away, does he just go back to being a stud receiver and having a more conventional star season? Yeah, and he can be a stud receiver and regress. Like if he's somewhere between wide receiver twelve and wide receiver fifteen, that's a stud receiver. So Waddle or Debo? I still have Debo higher than Waddle, but I'm the low guy on Waddle apparently. Yeah, I have Waddle a little higher, but it, it's very close. All right, let's do our Waddle stat then. Crazy stat on Jalen Waddle who was uh, the number 21 wide receiver in non-PPR, number 12 in PPR. Uh, This kind of says it all. He had 104 catches in 16 games last year. He had 106 catches in 34 games at Alabama. He averaged 18.9 yards per catch in college and 9.8 yards per catch as a rookie with the Dolphins. Jalen Waddle was just a completely different type of player who very rarely made a big play last year and did it very frequently at Alabama. So, Chris, you are the high guy on on Jalen Waddell. Do you think that there's another level that it could be unleashed in Waddle? Absolutely. I think he's an incredibly talented player who clearly has the ability to make plays down the field. And there were some stretches this season when... You know, especially early on when he was making some plays down the field, and that kind of got derailed by to his rib injury, and then the transition to just this almost entirely RPO based offense. And I think that's what happened with him. That's why he averaged nine point eight yards per catch is because basically, I mean, they kind of turned him into like a Jarvis Landry type. Yeah. It was, you know, their 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 offense was based on RPOs and quick hitting passes, and that was. Really good for Jalen Waddle in a PPR league, and I expect that will continue to a certain extent. Um, but with Mike McDaniel's taking over and coming from the Kyle Shanahan offense, I would expect more of those. You know, what was the stat? the The Forty ers led the league in in breaking targets by like some massive. They had like more, like twice as many in breaking targets as any other team in football, and that's partially to take advantage of the playmakers that they have and the guys that they have who can make plays with the ball in their hands. And that's been a, a focal point of the 49ers as a team, you know, in building their offense. And I think we'll probably see more of that from Jalen Waddle, not so much just these these quick slants where they're trying to get eight yards and, and nothing more. I think we'll see more opportunities for him uh, to get the ball in space. And I think you'll see his yards per attempt or reception jump to like 11. I'm not going to say it's going to be like 18 or 15 even, but I do think we'll see more efficiency from Jalen Waddle on his second season in you know somewhat similar volume. I do think it's interesting to compare this one to what we just talked about, though, with Debo, because I came into this year thinking Devontae Smith is the safe guy, the, the technician, the guy that's already polished and ready for the NFL, and Jalen Waddle is the 
elite specimen who is a little bit worried about year one is <laughs> it might be a little rough around the edges. <laughs> and that was not the type of season, obviously, that we got from either. But with the type of athletic profile that I thought Waddle had, I would have anticipated him having a few more plays like Debo Samuel. Like he was at 4.2 yards per yards, whatever, the Azerstedt, um, <laughs> yards after the catch per reception. Um, on a 7.1 A dot, and you mentioned Jarvis Landry, sure, or Deontay Johnson. It's very similar numbers from Deontay Johnson over the past few years. Mm-hmm. I, I'm surprised that he didn't do more after the catch on all those short targets. Yeah. Yeah, I, me too. That was something that he definitely could do in college, but uh, he did have over 1,000 yards as a rookie, and that is <laughs> a hit 900, Heath. You know, I love that uh, in uh, in sixteen it's, games. It's a thousand now, right? It was nine hundred for a sixteen game. No, well, he did it in sixteen games, so that just makes it easy. But no, it's not a thousand. What would it be like? Nine, nine fifty six or yeah, something, right? Yeah, I think if you play seventeen games and you don't get a thousand yards, you're not good now. Oh, DK Metcalf, <laughs> right? Uh, I don't, I don't think. But he, he wasn't was. a rookie. It's fine. Oh, okay, that he's fine. Yeah. Uh, all right, next stat. Let's talk about two wide receivers who had the same amount of targets, Devontae Adams and Deontay Johnson. They had 169 targets, second most in the NFL behind Cooper Cup. Same amount of targets, Adams had 392 more yards than Deontay Johnson. That is a staggering difference. 2.3 more yards per target than Johnson. Johnson was a top 10 wide receiver in both formats. He was 8th in PPR, 10th in non-PPR. He had 107 catches. An interesting guy to evaluate, Heath. Um... With a with a new quarterback coming in, but uh, not as good as Devontae Adams, I think, is what I'm uncovering here. Whoa, whoa, <laughs> that whoa. appears to appears to be true. Um, I could say the same thing I said the last three years, which is everybody else, including Ben Roethlisberger, appears much more convinced that Deontay Johnson is good um, than me, and I, I'm worried about him. Depending on where they go at quarterback, if they stay at Mason Rudolph then I think the pass volume probably drops and the accuracy of the throws doesn't get any better. If they draft Malik Willis, I think the pass volume probably drops, and I'm not sure that the quarterback play, in terms of throwing, gets much better this year. And all Deontay Johnson has given us in his career is targets. Now, he he doesn't really even catch these short area targets at a particularly good level, doesn't really do very much after the catch, has a pretty average touchdown rate. He just gets 10 targets a game, which is a skill, and I'm not putting that down. But if, and I made this joke, but I think it's true, actually, if Ben Roethlisberger was the reason that the Steelers threw so many passes, and they are not going to have Ben Roethlisberger in the huddle audibling out of these run calls anymore, I expect the Steelers' pass volume to drop, I don't think Johnson's efficiency improves, and so I don't think he's going to be as good. That would they have to upgrade at quarterback for him to be better? Yes. Yeah, it's not that easy to do. <laughs> Up to I mean, I, like ben, it shouldn't we, be that hard because Ben was well, really not good. Yeah, but then look at how bad they were the one game he missed. You know, right. look at the, like Mason Rudolph has been worse than Ben Roethlisberger. So you look think how bad they were the whole season that Ben Roethlisberger missed. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's going to be, I don't know. I I, I struggle with it because I do think 
you know, Deontay Johnson's passing game role and even Najee Harris's passing game role early in the season, you know, obviously it tailed off, but I think both of those things were a reflection of the dysfunction of the Pittsburgh Steelers offense. That's not, I don't mean that as a knock on, on Deontay or Najee Harris, even though it, it is one and comes off as one, but (laughs) it's to say that like, in a normal functioning NFL offense, Deontay Johnson is probably more like a 23% target share guy. And in the Steelers offense, he was, I think, 28%. And that's yeah. just, that is probably not an ideal way to run your offense. You know, funneling so many targets to a guy who, he was a 30% target share guy this season. Yeah. You know, funneling so many of your targets to a guy who's, not a great playmaker with the ball in his hands necessarily does a really good job of getting open, but doesn't get open downfield necessarily. So it's, it's tough because I, I think the most likely outcome is the Steelers offense is probably still pretty dysfunctional. Yeah. Um, but well, yeah, if the volume goes down, that's going to be a concern. A lot I mean, of people really think believe that they're it, on the right track. The way that they could make their offense better this year is Malik Willis at quarterback and run an offense similar to what the Eagles did or the Ravens do and just run the ball a lot more and be more efficient running it because you have a running quarterback. But yeah. even in that scenario, that's bad news for Deontay Johnson. Well, what if yeah, it's, I mean, what if it's Kenny Pickett? He still have a 30% target share, but you know, if, the, if that's coming from 540 pass attempts as opposed to, what was it last year, 680, it's probably not going to, you know, you're just going to lose 40 targets off the top. Yeah, but if it's Kenny Pickett and then, I mean, he's a pit guy. Uh, then that's a more conventional pocket passer, very accurate guy. I'm not the biggest Kenny Pickett fan, but what do I know? We would but, expect, though, I would say, based on what we've seen from rookie quarterbacks in the last decade, we should not expect Kenny Pickett to be a more efficient passer than Ben's been the last two years. Well, I don't know. I mean, I expect him to be better than Mason Rudolph. I don't know if he'll be better 6.2 yards than per attempt and a 3.6% touchdown rate is pretty awful. Was there a rookie that was definitively better than that last year? Mac Jones. Yeah. Def, yeah. Okay. I think. Probably. I, I, I don't. Okay. All right. Let's go to our next crazy stat. Tyreek Hill. He went five straight games without a 20-yard catch. His longest stretch in any of the three previous seasons was two. Two straight games without a 20-yard catch. Pretty amazing. So five straight games without a 20-yard catch for Tyreek Hill, who finished as wide receiver seven in non-PPR. And it's going to be better than that in full PPR. It was uh, wide receiver six. So much better. Yeah, how about that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, you know, a very different year from him. 111 catches, but only 1,239 yards. Just just different. Very different version of Tyreek Hill. Which weeks were those? Uh, probably like four to eight, something like that. They were just before the start of the Mahomes Okay. Rough stretch, because I think that kind of started with the Tennessee game. I think it was two games before Tennessee, and then two games after Tennessee, and obviously included. I think it will be really interesting if the Chiefs add a wide receiver. Um, is it someone... Because I do think... I, I don't know if it's reflected in the full season numbers or not, but there was definitely a stretch where they had to change the way they were using Tyreek Hill, because that was the only way they could get him the ball, because the defenses took away a lot of the things that didn't end with them in the past. And I... I'll be interested to see if the Chiefs add someone like Juju to take care of those short area stuff so they can send Tyreek deeper again, or if they add more of a deep threat and keep him closer to the line of scrimmage. 
Um, his average depth of target was 10.4 yards per target this year. Uh, it was 12.9 the two years prior and 14.8 the year before that. Yeah. Well, it's no, a I little mean, risky, right? So, I mean, it's a little risky to take him. He feels a little risky this year for the first time. In 2022, he feels a little risky for the first time, I'd say. Is that a fair assessment? I do not agree that he's never felt risky. He has felt much riskier than this in the past so? for a variety of reasons. Oh, uh, oh, you're talking about the off-field stuff. But just from a performance standpoint, this is the riskiest I think he's felt since he you know, burst onto the scene, I guess. But see, I, I don't know because what we saw happen with Terry Kill is exactly what you would expect to happen if a, if a team, if defenses are focusing on taking away the long ball, is they just started throwing a ton of targets to him in the short area. And so he still ended up as wide receiver six in what is widely acknowledged to be a down season. And then in the postseason, he had 23 catches, 285 yards, and three touchdowns. Um, I just kind of think what this showed was Tyreek Hill's kind of foolproof for fantasy. Like, I guess if that he's just, not that... going to be the guy who averages 15 yards per catch and scores seven 60-yard touchdowns in a season, well, he can be the... 110 catch guy and you know there was that stretch late in the season where he just wasn't healthy i mean really the last three games i would say at least um but he had but chris right off he averaged about four and a half fewer ppr fantasy points per game than he did in 2020 he averaged three ppr fantasy points per game than he did in 2018 which was his first great season 2019 was a down year for him Mahomes was injured he was injured but it sounds like it's he's been really good in even years, and we should expect him to yeah. be awesome in twenty twenty two. No, he was good. I think more, maybe more of a philosophical question. You look at what he did in finishing as wide receiver six overall. But was he was he a disappointment? I, I think if you had Tyree Kill, you were disappointed. And if you draft him again it, it, near the end of round one, beginning of round two, in that range, and he gives you seventeen point six PPR fantasy points per game. I think you're probably going to be disappointed. Yes. But, again, I'll mention those last three games. where I, What was the injury that he was playing through? Uh, he, he only got hurt. 42% of the snaps and then 18% of the snaps in two of those three games. He got and hurt so, um, in... He got hurt... It was the Pittsburgh game. In week 18? No, no, no they played him. They played him in the playoffs. Yeah, I don't remember what before, it was. Through week 15, he was averaging 20.1 PPR points per game. And I would assume if you just add his postseason to his overall numbers, he probably gets back pretty close to 20 PPR points per game. So that's the thing is I'm not sure how... Like in the moment, it certainly did feel pretty disappointing. I'll, I'll grant that. But in retrospect, I'm not sure it was necessarily i don't know if that's i, I will just say that, that makes sense like what we've seen if 17.6 ppr fantasy points per game is tyreek hills disappointing then i am very excited to draft him at the one two turn he does because deserve the an disappointment for a lot of other people in that range is much much worse he deserves an azer stat honestly because played 42 percent of the stat as chris just said I can't count. I can't count the Denver game, fourteen snaps, two cat, two yards on one catch. I mean, that's killing his average. 
All right. Yeah, I mean, they played the full game. He just he didn't. Right. Like the it wasn't like the offense yeah. didn't play the full game. He just didn't because he wasn't healthy. All right, let's take a break. I got five more crazy stats. We're gonna have to go a little bit faster here. Five more crazy stats plus your emails right now. Or when we come back, rather on fantasy football today. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're back. Let's talk about some running backs. Who saw the most eight-man fronts in football? Well, I don't know. I think it was Deontay Foreman, but really the stat I have is about who saw the third most eight-man fronts in football. I think it was Deontay Foreman, though, believe it or not. Uh, it was really Henry actually saw a higher rate of eight-man fronts than Deontay Foreman. I think I saw that on Twitter the, uh, yesterday. Derrick Henry saw a higher rate? I, I don't think so. so. I think Foreman did. Okay. Because I, I, I think. And this was actually... That doesn't matter. Someone on Tennessee. This is actually percentage-wise, not total eight-man mm-hmm. fronts. Anyway, the guy I wanted to focus on was Eli Mitchell. And what I noticed was the guys who had the eight-man fronts were not necessarily the best running backs. They were often just on the teams that were kind of one-dimensional, didn't have great passing games. Anyway, Eli Mitchell saw the third highest percentage of eight-man fronts. And he and what does that mean? That's when the defense commits an extra defender into the you know, box, so to speak. Uh Average 4.8 yards per carry against eight-man fronts. By the way, that also could be just a product of the offensive formation. If you come out with... It, it's it's mostly a product of the offensive formation, yeah. from what I understand. The the two teams, the, the three teams that run the fewest 11 personnel also tend to see the most stacked boxes, and that's the um, Titans, the Browns, and the... 49ers because those teams the 49ers use their fullback a ton way more than any other team in football the Titans and Browns run the most two tight end sets okay I will say that I found the tweet that Chris was reference referencing because there was a discussion about Foreman and Henry averaging about the same yards per carry last year um the Josh Larkey says Derek Henry faced stacked fronts 24 percent of the time Foreman 14.3 percent of the time so I think that's a different stat than the eight-man fronts also. Oh, it is? Yeah. Okay. Stacked versus eight-man, a totally different thing. Yeah, I don't know what, I don't know what the difference <laughs> is, but it, the, clearly it's different because Elijah Mitchell's a... Oh, well, I don't know, actually. Forget. This is a stupid stat, I think, then. It's a no, stupid I think stat. it's... I think which, it's which one's a useful. stupid stat? The 8%... The uh, percentage of eight-man fronts... But the other stat was that Eli Mitchell averaged 4.8 yards per carry against eight-man fronts. That was fifth best behind Rashad Penny, Nick Chubb, A.J. Dillon, and Tony Pollard. So and that's, he was great. Um, I mean, George Kittle's the best blocking tight end in football, probably, and Kyle Juszczyk's a really good blocker, so that probably plays a pretty good part of that. And Debo Samuel's an excellent blocker as well, and 
Brandon Ayuk probably got better at blocking because that was a big part of why he wasn't playing early on in the season, from what I understand. So that's that. That I think is like Eli Mitchell's good. Uh, I this think, this stat it, sucks, Chris. It's Let's a forty nine. It's a 49er stat. I think. Like yeah, the 49ers they, have an they, incredibly efficient running game. And that'll probably be the case next season with Trey Lance. Nine crazy stats. Okay, here's number seven. Number seven. Yes, number seven. Uh, the three running backs with the highest run grade. PFF gives a grade to all the running backs. The three running backs with the highest run grade uh, from Pro Football Focus were all backup running backs who had 100 or more carries. Dearness Johnson, Tony Pollard, and A.J. Dillon were the highest rated running backs. Jonathan Taylor was fourth and Damian Harris was fifth. Heath, do you care at all about that? Dearness Johnson, Tony Pollard, and A.J. Dillon were the three highest graded running backs. And it's not like they had 15 carries here. Like I said, they all had 100 or more. Right, but they all probably had less than half the number of carries of Taylor. Um, I would assume, and I think that's probably just a little bit of um, a lesson of the law of large numbers. But um, I don't also don't fully know how that formula works for the grading and the numbers. So very scientific and not subjective at all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Dearness Johnson was really good. Um, AJ Dillon and Tony Pollard were really efficient, but does it, does it make you, th- does it make you more confident that Johnson's going to be a tough spot if Kareem hunts back, but that it, that Pollard and Dillon, if given the opportunity, if there's an injury or something like that, does the run grade make you more confident in their in their home run uh, potential? Not Pollard, because I don't think Pollard... I think Pollard has an incomplete in his grade against defenses that are expecting the run. Because <laughs> he does not... He's not had... Like, he doesn't do a lot of the things that Ezekiel Elliott has looked so bad and slow at. Um, a lot of Tony Pollard's runs are creative and exciting and fun. And then Zeke gets the ball and runs between the tackles. So... But Dylan, yes. Okay. I struggle with Dylan and and Aaron Jones. I I don't know exactly how to um to project them, and I, I my split could be entirely wrong because I ended up with Aaron Jones as my RB fifteen, AJ Dylan at twenty eight, and I'm certainly going to be the low guy on Dylan with that ranking. <clears throat> and I would guess I'm going to be pretty high on Aaron Jones with that. I have them getting the same number of carries, actually. I just think Jones is going to have the much bigger role in the passing game. And I'm not sure Dylan is just like a better goal line back than Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones has been really good in that role. So it's really tough to know what to make of that situation, especially, you know, if Jordan Love is the quarterback instead of Aaron Rodgers. Would it make you feel better to know that I came out with Aaron Jones at 13 and Dylan at 30? Um... A little bit because that was with me moving Aaron Jones down from 11 in the projections. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. Next up. Oh, it's another Heath Cummings stat. Stat number eight, Heath. You want to read it? Yeah, I mean, this one definitely deserves to be behind the Devontae Adams is better than Deontay Johnson stat <laughs> and the eight-man run. Look, dude, I couldn't, I couldn't give you the first two slots. Josh Jacobs averaged 3.8 catches per game in his final 15 games, including the playoffs. In his first two seasons, he only had two games with more than three catches. That's wild. That's a great stat. Yeah, no, that's uh, partially, was it the coaching staff change? Was it um, 
Kenyon Drake getting hurt. I would think Kenyon Drake getting hurt played a decent part in it, but no, that's a that's a good sign for him. It was it was why he kept. I mean, he kept finishing as like a top fifteen back every week, even when he wasn't that good. And I kept ranking him as a top ten back every week, just because if you're gonna get five targets per game, which he pretty much was, it's really hard not to be a yeah. top fifteen back. And if he's going to get five targets per game next season. It would be really hard for him not to be a top 15 back. I don't have him as a top 15 back. Um, but I I also acknowledge that I probably maybe am being too conservative in his projection. This this is one that I think I think I have him nine right now. <laughs> um, so we're opposite on this one, but he is going to make me the most nervous because new coaching staff. Um, a coordinator that for most of his career has had a designated pass catching back. Right. And Jacobs last year, while it was great that he got the targets, he averaged 5.4 yards per target, which is about 10% worse than league average for running backs. And he's at 5.5 for his three-year career. So he hasn't actually been... Good, although he didn't catch 84% of his targets, so that's a positive. But although then 5.4 yards per target looks even worse. Yeah. 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 I, I think I he's good. I'm starting to think he's just a guy. Uh like I know he was a first round pick, and but it's hard to disentangle this from the fact that their line hasn't been as good the last couple of seasons. But I just yeah, I, I don't know. He doesn't there's not a lot about Josh Jacobs that looks all that impressive when you look at his career as a whole. So I, I'm, I don't know what he's good at. Uh, I will say that the thing that is above average probably is the way he's scored touchdowns the last couple of years. And that's something that new England backs. They've generally had a guy who scores a lot of touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I they just usually have a great offense, but even last year they didn't have how a many great carries offense. do you have him projected for? I have him projected for 286. I have him for 235. That probably explained most of the the difference and where we've got him. All right, running back stat, well, stat number nine, crazy stat number nine about another running back. I already talked about this earlier this week with, with Dave and Jamie, but I would like to know how you guys feel about it. And it's just basically Rashad Penny and his big playability. He had 119 carries, yet he had the third most 20-yard carries in the NFL, 20-plus-yard carries in the NFL, behind Jonathan Taylor and Nick Chubb, who had a lot more carries than he had. He had, like I said, 119 carries, and 11 of them went for 20 or more yards. I I know I already gave this stat last time, but uh, for for Heath and Chris's purposes, uh, the second most amount of 20-plus-yard carries by a running back who had fewer than 130 carries was four. And he had 11. He also, Rashad Penny, led all running backs in yards after contact per carry. So, I I mean, I can dismiss six games because he played, you know, he played against some really easy matchups and he tore them up. I do have a harder time dismissing big playability. I I mean, I watched almost all of his carries and I'm just confused because he doesn't really look very fast. It looks kind of slow to me, but could just be deceiving because he's a little bit bigger. But man, I mean, what what a stretch for him! And the big plays really jumped out to me. So I 
I would say it definitely if he had some um, dreadlocks, just like some <laughs> extensions that he could put on the back of his helmet so that you could see his hair bounce on his shoulder pads, you would definitely think that he's faster. Second round pick. It'd be a second round pick. He's he's really going to be an interesting guy. Um, is he back in Seattle? Is Chris Carson back in Seattle? Does somebody else try to go take him from Seattle? Because uh, I believe he's an unrestricted free agent and Carson's still under contract. I don't have any idea. I'm going to let NFL teams tell me what they think of that, I think. Yeah, they're not going to invest much. I don't think he's so injury prone, but yeah, Chris, I mean, does does big do you care about the the explosiveness, the ability to make those big plays that register? There does seem to be some year-over-year stickiness in the leaders. Like Jonathan Taylor was one of the leaders in 2020, Nick Chubb was number 2 both years. Um Dalvin Cook but, you know, a lot of that's also a product of how many touches those guys get. But, yeah, like Nick Chubb is consistently a home run hitter. Derrick Henry is consistently a home run hitter. Maybe Rashad Penny is that guy as well. But we have such a small sample size that I don't know that him doing that in such a small number of carries necessarily tells us all that much moving forward because sometimes you roll a dice 12 times in a row and you get four sixes. And it doesn't necessarily mean that those four sixes are going to happen again. So that's the difficult thing, just because we don't have any kind of track record for Rashad Penny. He had 40% of his career carries last season, and he didn't get a lot of carries last season. So I I really struggle with him. If he's the number one back somewhere, he'll probably be in the low-end RB2 range. But I can't see myself investing a ton in a guy who probably isn't going to have much of a passing game role uh, and has very little track record on the ground. I think it's nice to see. It was great to see him play that well, but I um, I don't necessarily buy it. Well, that was he, what he was in college. It's worth pointing out. Okay, let's go to our last stat. Aaron Rodgers has now led the NFL in touchdown rate two straight seasons. He is the first quarterback to lead the NFL in touchdown rate in two straight seasons since Aaron Rodgers in 2011 and 2012. And what's more crazy, what's even crazier, the touchdown rates were almost identical. In 2011, it was 9%. In 2020, it was 9.1%. And then the following year, it was 7.1% and 7%. And he led the NFL in both those two-game stretch, two seasons. You want something even crazier? Uh Uh-oh. Go. Devontae Adams went from a 12.1% touchdown rate in 2020 to 6.5% in 2021. And Aaron Rodgers' touchdown rate didn't change. No, it did now, change. Here, it, did, it did change. Not not a ton. 2%. I mean, 9.1%. Here's, a, here's a, a real scare for you. The year before he did it, last time in 2010, he had a 5.9% touchdown rate. The year following, in 2013, he had a 5.9% touchdown rate. Mm. So eventually, he got back to the same guy he had been. Unfortunately, the year before he did this, he had a 4.6% touchdown rate. <laughs> so I think he's probably going to have a terrible year. <laughs> That's not how it works. Well, he's never going to be among the yardage leaders, at least as long as he's with Green Bay. And he's not going to be among the rushing yardage leaders. But he is also one of the greatest football players of all time. So, well, yeah, I I think if you do the, if you set 5.9% as his standard, you know, he would fall from QB six to QB nine, 
which isn't a huge fall, but you're talking about two points per game. It drops him from, you know, the, the borderline elite territory to more like a Kirk Cousins. And I think that, you know, Kirk Cousins has had really good touchdown rates the past three seasons. Um, so I, I don't know. It's like a 5.9 touchdown percent would be really, really good. That, that Rodgers has, yeah. Ro- that would Rogers be has the players. second highest. Yes. Ever. Touchdown. Is Russ um, or Mahomes is number one, right? Mahomes at 6.4, Rodgers at 6.3, Russ at 6.2, and then Watson at 5.9. That's among active quarterbacks. Ah. There's some guys from the old days who only threw like six passes and they were all touchdowns. But um. <laughs> Okay. All right. So where do you come out in your rankings, guys? Aaron Rodgers. QB6 for me. That's assuming the status quo in, in Green Bay, but he's in a, you know, a, a tight group with Murray and Burrow and Stafford and you know, then, then I think there's a drop. Yeah, I've got him fifth. It's um, and there's a little, actually, a little bit of a teardrop after him, but it's he's um, he's behind Mahomes, Allen, Jackson, Herbert for sure, but ahead of Murray, Hertz, Dak, and Wilson and Burrow as well. Yep, that's that's pretty much the the same range ish for me. <laughs> what a crazy show! Wow, and. One one email. Time for one email here. I had three in here. I'm going to save a couple. Save our keeper dynasty questions. Is it for next a crazy week. email? No. Oh. But it is from Bradley, and he says, "Dear," and I don't know how to pronounce these names. <laughs> Qui Gon Jar Jar. I know him. Shmi. Mm-hmm. And Maul. Yep. yep. Darth Maul. I know. Shmi is from Hook. <laughs> oh, that's just Shmi. Hold on. Let me let me grab him. I've got my. I've got my little Darth Maul bobblehead here. Yeah, yeah. I'm a I'm a big nerd. Are, is Qui Gon a good guy? Uh, Qui Gon was Obi Wan's master. Ah, he's yeah. Okay, sounds he's, like a good guy. Uh, Liam Neeson. Oh, okay. You know, you've never. Oh, you, that's right. You're not a Star Wars guy. No, I am. You don't know. I watched all. I watched right, the, but yet, yeah. Have you watched the prequels? Not yet. No. Yeah, it's. Mm-hmm. No, I watched Bloodsport instead, which was. <laughs> Really interesting, really weird, um, but good fighting. Anyway, uh, from Bradley, I'm trying to learn more about value-based drafting to answer my questions about why certain players deserve to be drafted at a certain spot. My main question is, if value-based drafting is the optimal strategy for fantasy drafts, um, well, I kind of read that with the wrong inflection. My main question is, if value-based drafting is the optimal strategy for fantasy drafts, and if so, what are the key principles and advanced tips that you guys can give me? I'm just a college student who loves fantasy football, looking to get my foot in the industry. What is the biggest piece of advice you can give to someone in my position? Biggest piece of advice I would give to someone who is currently in college is um, write for your college newspaper. Mm. If you want a, an, a job in, in any journalism industry or, or content creation, because you need clips. You need it's to show a, that it, you can do Chris, it. Chris, come on. It's a dying industry. Get on the radio. Get on college sure. TV. I, look, man, I did. I did uh, <laughs> Radiate FM, college radio station. Did multiple. I was the football play-by-play guy back in college. There are some clips of that. Hey, yeah, me too. They're probably not good. Um, I was on the the newspaper. We never did video, but you know that was that was ugh, God the halcyon days of the 
aughts. Um, <laughs> yeah, do yeah, it all. Look, Chris is right. You, do it all. If you want to get into the fantasy football industry specifically, you have to have a baseline of you know showing that you can do the 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 writing part of it and the and the the podcasting and all that stuff. And you know you're gonna probably have to put in some time for not very much pay and doing that in college is probably the best time to do it because you've mm-hmm. got more free time there than you're going to have pretty much at any other point in your life from this point on. So, and yeah, don't do what I did and take a statistics class and drop it because you didn't want to take the midterm. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically yeah. what I did with economics. So learn, uh, all those things that the kids are doing these days, the, what is it? The R coding R and Python. Python. Yeah. Um, Q, um, the the black snake sequel, um, whatever all those things are. Learn those, but I think the more important thing is, and you can do this in writing, you can do this on radio, you can do this on video. You need to do it on all three. Is you got to figure out what your voice is mm-hmm. and who you are, um, and like who you're, go- or at least who you're going to present. Um, and you need to have like a developed voice and that will help a lot. And if you don't like your voice, use your mixer to make it sound deeper. That, <laughs> that is I, something you could do I, if I you're insecure. Do. I don't or do de- that anymore. develop a non-regional dialect. <laughs> uh, what is that from? That's uh, a thing, right? Lots of things. Uh, well, uh, I just wanted to share a story. I did uh, UMTV, I did the news. I was a news anchor. For UMTV at college, and uh, I had to sit on a phone book to make myself <laughs> taller <laughs> next to the girl I was sitting next to. Did I ever tell you about the time I almost got kicked out of high school newspaper? <laughs> no, but can we save it for another one show? One of the most so- embarrassing. No, I think you should do it at the end of the show. It's one of the most no, embarrassing things. I want this done. to be the beginning of a show. No, it's definitely not the beginning of a show. I was, um, I was like, I had a lot of columns and stuff in high school and it was my junior year and things were going really well. And there was this thing over, I think it was court warming. Um, the, the two winners of court warming, I was supposed to write a little feature on them, which was not my cup what, of tea, not the type of thing I did. Warming? It's like homecoming for basketball and wrestling season. Oh. Um, and so the problem was I knew both of them very well. Um, one of them was on the basketball team with me, the guy was, and he said, you know, just write some stuff and uh, I'm good with whatever. And that was great. Oh, no. The, um, the, the, the young woman who won, I knew her as well, but I was terrified because um, I'd had a crush on her and I couldn't speak to her hardly. <laughs> And um, I just did the same thing with her profile as oh, well and no. didn't ever speak to her. And um, that didn't go over very well. Oh she my didn't gosh. Know. She didn't no. think it was okay. If uh, the biggest piece of advice I can give to someone who wants to get in the industry, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> don't make up quotes. That's, that's yeah. one of the first rules. Ugh. That is so, awesome. Yeah. Uh, so Amazingly, I-, I was on the staff next year. How about I'm actually I'm a little surprised Heath was on the, the high school newspaper. I thought you would have been too cool for that. No, no. Yeah, I'm with you. It was just Chris. it was just me and a bunch of other nerds locked in our windowless room. Why is yeah. it that we think Heath was so cool? Because we were so uncool. And he's tall. Yeah, he's very tall. It's true. Okay. Like so- that goes a long way in high school. I know. I just had to fill out an application with my height or like a 
like a going to the doctor and they asked me my height and I'm just so embarrassed by it. Uh, but anyway, um, you give yourself an extra inch right in five, four. I can't, I mean, I can't do that at the doctor. Five, four. <laughs> Maybe I can Wait, bring the phone. I can bring you, the phone book. They don't measure you. Well, when you're filling out the form, they, it's there, they ask you and then, you know, they go check your, check Honestly. your work. Yeah. <laughs> oh, five, nine, huh? I'm in yeah. shoes. <laughs> Anyway, anything on value-based drafting? We did a show on this last year, we and did. we should do another one this offseason. It's very, very helpful and important, and I think a little bit overlooked now. We should, but we shouldn't we, do that now. We should do a right. It's a long question. Uh, do you do you think it's better than not doing it? I do. Okay. A lot of my yeah, rankings I mean, are based on the concepts, and and a lot of it is like the idea that. It's about figuring out who the best player available is, right? Like, it's not just, you know, you, you should generally take the best player available, and I think positional scarcity is is probably overrated in, in fantasy and, in, you know, both baseball and football, the, the two sports I cover. and But it's about figuring out, like, where the positional scarcity ends and where it doesn't and what what spots you should be vaulting other, some guys over others and stuff like that. But... Yeah, it's it's basically just trying to f- to have a method to what you're doing. I think that's the biggest advantage that it can give you is just you you've got your own you've got a strategy. You're not going in, you know, just well. I think this guy's better. I think that's that's the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. We we will do. I, I will pressure Adam to make sure we talk about this. Maybe we'll have a drafting strategy. I show, like it. Yeah, and we could talk about that. Are you guys ready to be Charlie Brown? More more discussions of of that sort. Charlie Brown, yeah. You ready to be Charlie Brown? Sure. Uh, Stranger Things Season 4 is coming May 27th, Volume 1. Um, at least that's what they say now. This, is, I believe, is like the third or fourth time that I thought I knew when Stranger Things I don't think they had like announced a date officially yet, though, right? Uh, there's been spring of... What, May 27th? 20, May 27th, and then Volume 2 comes July 1st. So we're probably getting like six episodes on the 27th and six on July 1st. That's going to be fun. They probably have to spread them out because the cast has gone from like 12 to 19. <laughs> They're going to have to do a, a, a time jump midway yes, through the season. for sure. Yeah, well, no, that's, they have that's fun. to. Uh, Obi-Wan comes out on the 25th. That's going to be a very nerdy weekend for me. They have to find um, a way to justify me keeping my Netflix uh, subscription because it is the have most you... overpriced service now. I need to start charging family is what I need to start doing. Yeah, me too. You still have time to catch up on The Marvelous Miss Maisel before the next season yeah, releases on Friday. Not a chance. <sighs> Tomorrow. I do not like that show. Oh, I, it's I so I can't good. get into it. It's a play. It's a play. If I wanted to go to the play, I'd go to Broadway. Um, it's a, it's a theater, and I don't. There's not, not any singing. The way that it you know is scripted. Wait, wait, hold on, Heath. You know, there's plays that aren't musicals, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I understand, but it's not a play. No, it is a Crucible. play. The way that it is scripted is very the- is very theater like. The dialogue is very is hilarious. Over the top. Her and- sets are funnier than Seinfeld sets on Seinfeld. <laughs> All right, we got to go. What is the deal with my husband? Why did he leave me? (laughs) We got to go, everybody. We'll talk to you later. Uh, We've got uh, no show on Monday, so have a great President's Day weekend. Talk to you on Tuesday on Fantasy Football Today.
From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.